A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the White House Plumbers Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to administration-breaking scandals. I'm David. And I'm John, and this is our coverage of the HBO original series, White House Plumbers. In this podcast, we'll give our quick takes on this new limited series before discussing what we felt was our key moments, and then discussing in-depth several of the major plot points for episode one, The Beverly Hills Burglary. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of May. Quick housekeeping for early access to ad-free episodes and exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash the lowerhounds. We are coming up on our one-year anniversary in July, and we're on a drive to reach 100 patrons for our one-year anniversary this July. We have more details about new benefits at the end of this podcast. If you're enjoying our content and want to give us a leg up, leave us a review and or rating on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help us worm our way into the halls of power. Uh, I mean, help new listeners find us. Uh, reviews especially help uh, potential new listeners get a sense of what we're about. And the more listeners we have, the more we can keep making podcasts. A quick reminder that for this limited series, we're doing a short form recap. But to make these podcasts a bit more fun, we're asking for your help to help us break down the episodes. So send us your thoughts, comments, and questions. Episodes are airing Monday at 9 p.m. and we'll generally be recording on Wednesdays, so you have plenty of time to get your feedback in. Send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website and either use the voicemail feature or the contact form. You can also post a message on our Discord server, link in the show notes, and we can include those comments as well. Look for the White House Plumbers channel once you're on to the server. Yeah, so David, this is a new topic for us. We haven't done anything sort of political, historical yet. Yes. What is your background on the Watergate scandal? Well, um, as a uh, elder Gen Xer, this was certainly something that was uh, present in my in the milieu of my growing up and and my memories. Uh, the echoes of it were sort of all around. I have. Um, Probably some, I, I don't know, you, G. Gordon Liddy has been a caricature, a character uh -huh. and a caricature, you know, in politics and, and sort of legend and right. being a person who vaguely pays attention to politics and things like that. He was always sort of this great comical character. Howard Hunt, I basically knew nothing about uh, uh, until watching this episode. 
and I knew the basics of the Watergate break-in, the you know breaking into the Democratic National Committee's headquarters and stealing stuff, and that the uh, along with the Nixon tapes, these are the things that um, compromised the Nixon administration. Right. But in terms of things like there were four attempted break-ins that they started out in Beverly, none of this I knew because I've not read that closely into the details of it. Just basically the I, I have this the sense of it, the shape of it, the broad historical outlines, um, and having grown up in the shadow of it. That's sort of where I'm at. And I'm looking forward to this uh, extra comical uh, rendition. So we'll see. Yeah, you what know, this, you? Show, this show is a super interesting thing because when we talk about Watergate, we almost always talk about the fallout. We almost always talk right. about the hearings and the trials and the resignations and the Saturday Night Massacre. And, uh, you know, I am not a crook, but we don't really right. talk about what happened leading up to Watergate, like why it happened. You know, people just how it happened, for, when it right. happened. Yeah, people the take sequence. for granted. OK, Nixon was crooked. And he had crooked people around him and they did something stupid. That's yeah. that's kind of just the the conventional wisdom. And here it says, let's show you how absurd they were. Right. And that's a pretty fun concept. And I mm-hmm. and I like it. Watergate has always been kind of fascinating to me because it was a real turning point in our political culture. Yep. Whereas before Watergate, there was a lot of trust in institutions sort of. You know, obviously, the Democrats and Republicans would argue and try to undermine each other in some ways and like on policy levels. But there was sort of a trust that from the general public that whoever was in charge was at least doing their best for the American people and not in their own interest purely. Whereas after Watergate, everything needed to be a scandal. Everything was looked at with a level of skepticism that you'd never seen before. And it really did change the way that Americans digest politics, I think. Yeah, it's even entered our culture to the level that we have a phrase for it. You know, if something is a mm-hmm. scandal, it's a gate, right? And so um, that's how deeply this penetrated. But I think most of us, like me, you know, I might have a, a sense of it, but I don't know the details of it. Right. And um, yeah, I think that whole time period, I mean, when you had political assassination, you had war. You had right. um, uh, who was Nixon's vice president? That was uh, the super corrupt guy. Um, Ford? No, no. <laughs> oh no, no, sorry. Ford was the second one that pardoned. Yeah, him. yeah. I, I don't remember the name. Of I'm blanking the name. Um, uh, there, he's yeah. It's just a memory uh, thing, old man memory. And uh, yeah, so the the whole period was really an unraveling of the political compact. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that the social politi- contract, right? Yeah. The social contract. It's not that politicians have never not been corrupt. I mean, right. Got a long history of that, but at least in this time period, that's a, this is when a, a modern um, sensibilities about it have been shaped and the Watergate break in and the Nixon administration, like you said, had a huge impact on, trust in institution right. and how we it's the shattering of that bond right it's yeah. the shattering of the trust between the people and their government right and i i don't think that we've ever fully recovered from watergate i think that we still look for scandals around every corner since then and uh you know in some ways we've had positive changes from watergate because they've tightened up ethics rules in washington they've right. you know had the special counsel law that doesn't exist anymore but the, <laughs> right. the uh the way that we reacted to Watergate was actually pretty good on a policy level. Mm. It was more on a cultural level level that I think that we've seen some kind of negative impact of 
we are ready for a scandal around every corner instead of hoping for the best and doing our due diligence. So final point, just quickly, and not to be too political, but when Roger Ailes, who you know was the the man behind creating Fox, his stated one of his stated things was, "I'm upset at how the Nixon administration was taken down, and therefore I'm going to do something about it." And his yeah. his doing something about it was to create a news network. So even then, and in, in the the world that we're living in in modern media, was shaped by the Nixon administration. What came out, the fallout, and that shattering of the Nixon administration. And not right. to say one thing or another about Fox or anything like that, but yeah, just as this historical inflection point, the Nixon administration and, and what happened in the aftermath are still echoing through our daily life. Right. So, right. so let's get into the episode a bit. Sure. A year before the infamous Watergate break-in, E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy are tasked with investigating the Pentagon Papers leak gathering a team of Cubans, all Bay of Pigs veterans, to infiltrate whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. Meanwhile, Hunt and his wife, Dorothy, get to know the Liddies. Nice. Where's that uh, summary from? Uh, I stole it off the internet. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's the, a the big internet. It's somewhere. The, yes, exactly. The, there's a website called Premier Date, which I use quite a lot. It's premierdate.news. Uh, I use it for tracking shows and things like that. And they had the summary, and so I'm assuming that it might be an official log line. So okay. Just scraped it off. Nice. So what did you think generally about this episode, David? Uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it going into it. I knew it was from the creators of Veep. I knew it was going to have a comical take on the Watergate story. I had no sensibility about when and where they were going to start the story or how they were going to introduce us to the characters. And so I was really kind of a, a blank canvas. So coming in with uh, Justin Throw, Woody Harrelson, and uh, Lena Headey, and I think Alan Seppenwall made this comment uh, in his initial review, was that these three actors are doing each of their own thing inside of one show, but it almost felt like three different shows because mm -hmm. the actors were tonally so different. And um, and this coming together of G. Gordon Liddy and, and Howard Hunt, who are two comical outsized characters with right. the quiet um, confidence of uh, Lena Headey, um, was very incongruous, and I was having trouble fitting it all together uh, from that standpoint, from a tonal standpoint. So, and first episodes can always be a little, you know, uh, they're, yeah. they're still trying to feel themselves out, get themselves sorted. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I, uh, it, it never lost my attention. Um, and so I'm just, I'm receptive. I'm open right now to going into episode two and, and seeing where we go with this. I wasn't blown away by it. Production value looked great. Acting seemed great. All of those things. There's nothing that took, you know, broke my verisimilitude is just, are we going to have an interesting right. and compelling story? What did you, uh, what did you take away? Yeah, I thought it was okay. I uh -huh. thought it was pretty okay. It was not great. It did not wow me. Like you said, right. It has promise. It has yes. not hooked me yet. Right. I, you know, I, I will say I started pretty late at night because mm -hmm. I was editing our podcast first before watching this. I started a little later on and, you know, if it's a good show, I'll stay up really late to watch it. 
Mm-hmm. I got halfway through this episode and said, I'm going to finish this in the morning. Okay. And I did go back and watch it a second time. <laughs> right. I, I didn't, it didn't click for me at either time, mm-hmm. but I'm enough interested in the subject matter and enough interested in seeing where it goes and how they explore some of the deeper plots as we go that I'm willing to continue. And I have to continue because we're podcasting on it, but right. I, I would have continued anyway if we weren't is what I'm right. saying. So I'm hoping that the next few episodes will develop a little deeper. I think you're right. The first episodes are hard. I remember We Own the City was a similar you know, mini series that right. grabbed me right away. But I know a lot of people weren't grabbed by that right away. Mm-hmm. And mo- I think most people were grabbed by a, by the end. So I'm hoping that I have a similar experience here. And it's a mini series. So we know that it's short. It's what, five right. episodes. So we and our expectations are a little bit, maybe a little higher in some regards. Because I'm thinking, well, you've only got five episodes in one season to to nail me on this, so show me what you got. Right. And out of the gate, I don't know if you grabbed me as as much as I wanted to be grabbed by this. Right. So right. yeah, I hear you. Cool. All right. So what uh, out of out of the whole thing did you have? Sort of a favorite scene, something that made you chuckle or gave you a wry smile. Well, David, before we get to that, how's your day going? Anything new? Uh, my day is going pretty well. Been pretty productive. Ow! Ow! I can't, I can't hear you, David. Can we turn that down? We're not going to get canceled, are we, for doing that? <laughs> <laughs> that scene is the one that killed me. Is okay. We're just trying to have a conversation over dinner. And he puts the Hitler chants on. <laughs> right. Oh my God. What the hell was that? And and the fact that Lena Hetty is just going, uh <laughs> what is happening? You know, exactly. she's she's way more willing to call out the Liddies than uh than Hunt, who's like, oh, be polite, just let the Hitler chant play a little more. It's fine. <laughs> it's so weird. It was so weird. And you know, going back on the second time, I started to notice more details. So uh-huh. on the plane. Liddy asks for a German beer, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a few things where where he alludes to you know oh yeah well he wants to name it Odessa because that was an SS operation. Yes. Uh, right. The team. So there's a few clues that he's going to do that if you if you go back. But it's it was so weird, man. It was so weird. And and I, I guess is it true that this guy was Hitler obsessed? Um. There's from what I read. He, his nanny used to play some stuff, uh, for him when he was a kid. Okay. And I think, um, he might have an outsized sensibility for that, uh, esprit de corps kind of thing and that, you know, national unity and common purpose and we're fighting the good fight and all that kind of stuff as a, as a straight up and up. Uh, national socialist. I don't think he is one or was one, and I don't know his take on on race other than yeah. you know he's a, a yeah. cis white man as we might call him today, and and that's right. where his power and privilege come from. So, uh, well, there was the whole thing of oh, he cares more about lineage and intelligence. That was that was off putting as well. And right. Judy Greer is doing a great job, by the way, as his wife. Yeah, I yeah. uh, always love to see Judy Greer and everything. She's always hilarious. And, and he uh, was a, he's a, yeah, he was a character. He was a caricature yeah. of a character himself. Yeah. He's yeah. a really outsized, wacky dude, wackadoodle dude. And I think, I think if you tried to play him sh- a, more normal 
in a show like this, it wouldn't come off. So they really yeah. got to turn the volume up to 11 on his on both of theirs wackiness to really yes. um, drive home the point that these guys were <laughs> just nut jobs. Yeah. In, 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 a, in a really big sense. Yeah. Jumping out the window to chase the kids with the eggs. <laughs> it was bizarre. Why couldn't he yeah. just go out the door and yell at them? Shake his fist. Get off my lawn. No, yeah, um, and then and was, he puts the gun down. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was pretty funny. <laughs> that's what that's why it was my favorite scene. It was the most like chaos, and mm-hmm. I I didn't have any crazy big laughs in the show. But I would say no, if I yeah. had to pick one, that would be my biggest laugh was the absurdity of that scene. So, what right. was your favorite laugh out loud moment? Uh, I think it was the uh, budget when they asked for their budget. Okay, and they're you know they've just reestablished the the rules and the power lines of you know who and who's going to be in charge and how is this going to work yeah and the guy uh dean says you know what do you need and they're the the looks that they're giving back and forth and the openings that they're giving each other like well uh i don't know what do you think oh i'm not sure what do you think and then when they come up with a million and the pause He's like, okay, whatever, whatever you guys need, you know, yep. you've got it. Yep. And their look at the, you know, their look and their excitement at each other was, was great. And you have watched the entire episode of these two guys bungling their way through this yep. uh, quote unquote operation, this black. And they're bag. like, we got $2,600 through this whole thing. They <laughs> exactly. were complaining the earlier about the budget. Exactly. And now they've got a million dollars or potentially more. Yep. To do all this crazy stuff, uh, I thought that that really put the that put a smile on my face. It gave me a chuckle, and then kind of told me what this show is uh, all going to be about. Uh, so yeah, it was a good encapsulation for me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. You know that one million dollar number. I don't know if it's accurate to that situation, but there is a tape of Nixon, and I tried to get a clean recording of it, and it's really hard to hear, so I didn't bother. But there's a tape of Nixon where he says. Uh, it, he basically says, you know, how do we keep these Watergate people paid off? And they're like, well, you're going to need about a million dollars. It's going to complicate, you know, the whole obstruction of justice thing. But he goes, a million dollars? I can get a million dollars. Yeah, we can get that <laughs> <Right>. in cash. <laughs> yeah, he's Crazy. he just is very cavalier about, yeah, I can get a million dollars. A yeah. million dollars, man. You know? Which in 1971, I think too, when he said that one, yeah. was insane. Insane amounts, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into breaking down some major storylines here. Um, thanks for doing the outline. Sure, yeah. Broken it up initially, and we'll we'll play with this as we go along, episode to episode, to see what emerges. But uh, you've got the formation, the burglary, and the setup. So this seems like a pretty good way for us to break down this episode. Let's start off the formation. Hunt, a disgraced former CIA agent, and Liddy, a former FBI agent learn to work together to plan a clandestine operation on behalf of the White House. Throughout the episode, they try to one-up each other and prove the superiority of their respective former organizations. In the end, they come to a mutual understanding. I just love the chemistry between the two. If anything worked in this episode, Mm -hmm. it was the sort of one-up the one-up aim the one-upmanship mm-hmm. of uh, of each other, the whole competing over who's in charge until they're they're like, oh well, neither of you are in charge, and they're oh, right, ah, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> the insistence on using the lingo of your former organization, you know, they're not part of either one anymore. But no, it's black op. No, it's a black bag operation. Right, that yeah. was that was funny to watch. 
And uh, then sort of the competing styles interested me because you have Hunt, who's this like guerrilla style, like let's go in, let's put our wigs on, let's mm-hmm. let's talk Spanish with the with the cleaning lady, and let's really let's improvise, guy. And Liddy goes, let's get our walkie talkies and let's make sure that everything is prim and proper. It's, right. I feel like he speaks almost with a transcontinental accent. It's so mm-hmm. weird. Right. Yeah, the the alpha dogs trying to piss on each other to to prove who's the superior, whose training and operations were yeah. you know were, were better. Uh, all of that was great, and uh, Woody Harrelson's acting was just yes. so. There were times where I forgot that I was looking at Woody Harrelson. Yeah, for me, Woody Harrelson is one of those actors who, whenever I see him, I always know that I'm watching him, and I. Will accept whatever caricature and uh, accent and and motivation that he is playing for his character, but I always know that I'm looking at Woody Harrelson. In this one, physically, he was presenting himself so differently, and by the end of it, I was utterly convinced that I was not watching Woody Harrelson. The way he had his lower jaw thrust out front, and the way that his shoulders and back were up, and you know, puff, you know, his puffed up chest. It was absolutely a, a, a really good performance on his point. And there's just the bravado and the energy yes. that he's just yes. flowing And the Roy Kent him. voice and everything. Yeah, absolutely. It was just <laughs> really wild. Um, and compared to Liddy, you could almost think, oh my gosh, you know, he's, he's a much more demure, even though he's more wackadoodle by, by um, in yeah. many, many... He's much like, more of like a classic bigot. Yeah. And well, and running down the street you with a gun chasing kids, you know, who who egged his house. I mean, that's just that's yeah. whacked. Yeah. Um, and that he was like, oh, you know, hey, it's just normal. That's what I do. Um, yeah. But he's he's much more quiet and demure. And so the tonal shift between the two performances and the two characters was, like I said before, a, a bit jarring. Right. And I'm waiting for the. Um, moment when this these two different instruments start to create a melody yeah uh, i i was just feeling there it's like they were getting in, and then that's what they were doing in this episode is they were trying to feel each other out and get in sync right and now that they've got a million dollars and an unlimited you know nearly that's unlimited some pretty budget, good grease <laughs> yeah exactly that it's gonna now boom here we go you know they've they figured out a way to work to, with each other and right. now they've got the means and the and the um structure of an organization to work within um, I'm looking forward to seeing how their relationship uh, keeps developing. Agreed. All right, next up, we've got the burglary. After Hunt and Liddy are told not to do the break-in themselves because they're on the White House payroll, Hunt calls in Cuban former CIA operatives to complete the task. They are seen, but law enforcement blames it on junkies. Later, the CIA discovers film of the photo shoot. What an absurdist, you know, situation. <laughs> Completely. Just from the beginning to the end, the I, I want to actually play a clip here of what sort of the the mission statement was with this operation. Because okay. when they when they unearthed the Nixon tapes, which are horrible to listen to because he had the cheapest recording system <laughs> in the entire world. Says a sound engineer, a trained Well, sound I actually engineer. cleaned up I cleaned up the audio a little bit for this clip <laughs> I'm about to play because it was bothering me so much. I just got rid of some background noise and whatnot. But yeah, so so he absolutely hated Ellsberg. He was just convinced he was gonna he was just like the corruption of America and the Pentagon Papers leak was terrible and stop at nothing to get this guy discredited. 
uh, he, this is what he had to say about it. I just say that we've got to keep our eye on the main ball. The main ball's Ellsberg. We got to get this son of a bitch. And uh, and you know, I was talking to somebody over here yesterday. I mean, one of our the PR types, and they're saying, well. Maybe we ought to drop the case that the Supreme Court doesn't sustain and so forth. And I said, hell no. I mean, you can't do that. Uh, you can't be in a position of having, uh, as I said this morning, we can't be in a position of, uh, of, of ever uh, allowing, it just because some guy's going to be a martyr, uh, of allowing the fellow to get away with this kind of wholesale thievery, or otherwise it's going to happen all over the government. Don't you agree? Quite. I think that we're just going to have to do this, That's otherwise right. we lose all control. Well, and, and let me say, too, don't don't figure the PR is too bad either. It can turn around the other way. People don't like people that are thieves. All the people have to do is look at this guy on television and yeah. his name and so forth. Right. You've got a hell of a lot yeah. going for you. Now, if you, if you will handle it, I would it. If you, if, and, but I'll be here if I need it. I feel it's very important not to allow anything now. We've got to have a united front on Ellsberg. That's the main thing. Uh, do you think that can work with him or not? I, don't I think it will, particularly uh, coming from you. Yeah. And uh, just say that I heard about it and that I'm coming over to make this strong statement on the bureau tomorrow. Okay. Very good, uh, sir. Will do. So he's, you know, weaponizing the FBI. He's absolutely livid that this guy got these papers out. And do you hear them talk about, oh, his name is gonna gonna make people not like him? It's it's horrible, right? I mean, this is this is a criminal talking the, about, you know, basically he's basically putting out a hit on this guy, right? He's right. Like, he's like, let me let me take this guy out of the public eye, and it, that's that's the kind of mission statement that these guys are going in with. Especially Krog is someone who was new to the White House. I was actually reading his book before before mm-hmm. this recording. He was somebody new to the White House. He was really wanting to prove himself, and this is the biggest operation he was ever given charge of. And Nixon had told him to read about Hiss, which was this guy who Nixon had gotten convicted of being a Russian spy, basically, mm-hmm. uh, back in back in the Red Scare days. And he's like, read this and know how seriously I'm taking it, you know? Well, it, yeah, it, 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 it sort of reminds me of, um, will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Uh, you know, Henry the the second of England, who makes this vague statement um, so that, you know, hoping, you know, and it, or mob boss speak, right? You know, where you, yeah. you know, you're being wiretapped, but you're trying to communicate your, your intentions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and I think Hunt and Liddy were both of the same cloth of Nixon here in mm-hmm. this, that, you know, we can't let this stand. We can't right. let this, you know, probably a commie, probably, you know, all kinds of other things that are not us. It right. gets very classist. It gets very racist. It gets very um, uh, uh, into power structures really quick that this, you know, Ellsberg, you know, just look at the name, you know, oh, man, like yeah. that is if that's not a dog whistle, I don't know what is. Right, exactly. So and, and you know, it's it's even more than mob speak. Because, you know, more than wiretap speak, because he's directly ordering things like this operation here, the fielding break in. Right. And uh, so he's he's really ordering all kinds of awful things. And uh, it's funny because Krogh, the guy who, you know, he's again, we keep saying his name. He's the guy with the glasses ordering, you know, saying I'm in charge of you guys. Wasn't he from um, the isn't the actor from uh, Mad Men? 
Yes, he is. Yeah, I, I can't he remember is. his name either. <laughs> so he's so he's Krogh. He's the guy who wrote the book the show is based on. Okay, got it. He was he, and this is not just from his book. It's not just him gloating, but he apparently had a reputation for being a, an absurd rule follower. He mm-hmm. was like devoted to following the rules and being ethical. And then he did this because he was so convinced by Nixon that this was going to be. You know, that that this guy was going to destroy America, you know, mm-hmm. that Ellsberg was going to destroy America. Right. And we got to discredit him. Right. That that he was basically corrupted by this White House culture. And that's what led to this break in. Right. Which is hilarious to watch the um, costumes, the the thing that changes G- Liddy's gait, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you know, they're they're wandering around with a camera pretending to be tourists. And then. Right. And I was just like baffled by their their antics, and then when uh, Hunt starts speaking Spanish to the cleaning lady, yes, I thought, oh, okay, here it is, right? This is the the gig is up. This is what's going to end it. And no, she, you know, accepts what he's saying, and it's like, right. oh, wait a minute, these guys, for as as buffoonish as they are. Is it just their bravado or is it their actual training and skills that actually get them in through the door and uh, establishing their credibility with the back with the Nixon administration? Oh, the guys actually did it. They actually came up with some, you know, something. Mm -hmm. Well, it was very smart of him, too, to speak to her in her native language, because that when you're in a foreign country and someone speaks to you in your native language, you're automatically drawn to want to trust them, I think. Mm hmm. And I'm sure she could have understood English. I'm sure he. Could yeah, have I was waiting for her, her to reply in English too. That's that. She kind of did, right? She said okay. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't say right. you know. But I, I think that was really smart of him, and it's interesting because Hunt is very bigoted. I think you know he's very yeah. you know he, he's a classic bigot. red meat eating. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, but yet he's fluent American. in Spanish. Yeah, and he you know he's able to sort of sweet talk this woman. He's he can be charming when he wants to be. Yeah, he's cultured. He he writes novels. He plays the piano. He sings. He's, he's yeah. Uh, when he, the, such the a scene? complex character. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know the the entertainer aspect of him. The the sense of romance and ro- romanticism that's uh, being expressed in his mm-hmm. writing of you know probably cheap novels. Um, it's he's a really uh, a confusing yeah. character in some ways from my first interaction with the on screen mm-hmm. depiction. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of how this how his character plays out. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't know if you speak any Spanish, but I, I know mm, enough to just <laughs> I, I know enough to just understand a little bit of what they were saying. And mm. I love he he basically says to her, Wow, these offices are just so clean. You do a great job. And yeah. <laughs> and she's like, Thanks. <laughs> it's it's so weird. It's such a weird compliment, you know? And then his joviality and, and camaraderie with uh, the Cuban operatives that he brings in. Right. Um, and for as much as a, a bigot he, as he is, um, he certainly seems to have a lot of warmth and, um, well, good feelings for, right. for his operatives. Right. Well, that's so. the thing is there's sort of this tension. There's this inherent tension in his personality between the way he treats a person and the way he treats people, right? Mm, he right. will look at a group and maybe be bigoted, but if he meets an individual, he's going to, you know, come down to their level and and sort of talk to them as a human being. And I, I think that we see that with people who have prejudices 
in life generally. You know, when right. you, when you get them on a one to one level, they often backtrack. They often moderate themselves, mm. and uh, so I think that's that's why this character. You know, as much as, as much as we've complained about this show and the tone of it, I think that they have built these complex, realistic characters as well. Mm. As as right. as crazy as they seem, they are complex, and they have. Incom- they they have conflicting traits in their personality that create rich tapestries mm-hmm. of pers- of of are you persona you know <laughs> i'm becoming i'm becoming you david yeah are you illuminating the weave that's uh, true uh i think you're right though uh, you know on on first watch and i think that's one of the nice things about doing these kinds of reaction podcasts is, is that we get to take a second look and and take mm-hmm. a deeper thought at what they're giving us and I think you're right. I and and you're picking up on something that I didn't I didn't necessarily pick up on the first watch was the complexity of um the hunt character and the performance that Harrelson is giving yeah. with that. Cause he's playing it all to the hilt and it's all dialed up to eleven. But yeah, we've got a, a novelist, we've got an entertainer, we've got a family man who by all accounts with his kids who are, you know, one who's, who's obviously got some, you know, trauma from a car accident. And then the teenage son who's borderline counterculture, but he's not treating them with hate or vitriol. No, but he is he's being still be- super dismissive of them. But yeah, he's just being sort of a dad, a red blooded American dad is sort of of that, you know, um, it's a genre piece, right? Yeah, you've got to yeah, you've got to yeah, take him for yeah. what for where he is in his place. Agreed. Um, but he's at the same time he's a he seems to be a reasonable family man, and you know he seems to. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that we could easily dismiss him on if he yeah. had assaulted his son because of the magazine cover or something like that. Then we could go, okay, that's it. This guy's over. You know, we're done with yeah. him. But no, another good joke, by the way, the yes, it well, was. who's bringing this liberal <laughs> nonsense to my house. We subscribe <laughs> to this. <laughs> Wait. So, so, th- you know, or when he's playing the music, uh, like, boy, I, I, I don't know the last time that I've been on an airplane that had a piano. Lounge yeah. Right. It, but <laughs> um, all of these things are, are, Pointing to a much more complex character, so I, I guess I'm, I'm in a long-winded way agreeing with you and renewing my interest in the storyline. What was the point of the photo shoot? <laughs> so that was to get uh, environmental, you know, pictures. So, like, if you're mm-hmm. planning an op later on, you know, okay, the the door is six feet over from the corner of the building okay. or whatever. So that you've got pictures of like, where are we going to enter? How are we going to exit? Where are the sight lines? It's right. sort of classic uh, uh, fare for heist movies or okay. you know, these kinds of things. And so you stage, uh, and I know this only from movies, um, you know, you, <laughs> you have somebody stand in front. Not doing of, any heist yourself, David? No, no. You know, you, you stand in front of the door. And then you take a picture of the door, but you have the person standing there as a prop. Right. So that people aren't going, why is that person taking a picture of a door? There's not, there's nobody or nothing there. So I, but it was classic that they left the film, the camera just absolutely. And the pictures were great. I loved seeing those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, their lack of attention to detail is already creating risks. Right. I I thought something else was interesting was the sort of differing standards of success between these two people. So Liddy 
okay. doesn't see it as success unless they had the actual papers, right? They didn't walk out with the papers, so that was not a success to him. Hunt goes, we know where the papers are now. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, fascinating. And I'm talking about after they actually go in. Right. And right. they find out that the papers aren't there, you know. Uh, you have Hunt being so like, oh my, uh, oh my God, we did it. We know where the papers are now. And Liddy is, is saying, buddy, we, we botched that. You know, right. it's, it's super different standards of success. And I think the reason for that is Hunt is desperate to say that something was a success. Mm-hmm. You know, we learned he was unhirable after the Bay of Pigs. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, the small time spy novel writer. His wife, you know, as much as she's playing it straight, she also, I don't know if you noticed, but she kind of digs at him a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. he says, I met this person, she goes, I know this person. She goes, I, you met him once. Right. It, you know, she, <laughs> yes, that's true. And that's not, I can't think of any other examples right now, but that's not the only time she does that. You know, there's a right. lot of subtle tearing down of his accomplishments. Right. And his his charisma. And she's so much more competent and yeah. probably would have been extremely co- uh, accomplished hadn't, you know, the, had the circumstances, the time frame been different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her career would have been probably a vastly different thing. Right. Yeah, super interesting. The, the one other thing I wanted to mention is Hunt is really not careful about who he tells about this operation. No, right. Flight yeah. attendant. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's off. He goes, I'll send you a book with his name on it. Are we kidding? I think. And this just goes to his cravenness for power, for recognition, his thin skin, you know, and big ego. He's he's they both want to be involved at the highest levels in the, you know, in the deepest halls. Um, but they're so outside of that. And it's Hunt's desire for that, which ultimately I think is going to be his downfall, right? I mean, right. We're, we're, we're seeing his character flaws play out real time here. All right, right. I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't think Liddy necessarily would succeed at these ops mm-hmm. without Hunt. But I think that Liddy would not get caught in his failures. Whereas I think the, Hunt, yeah. Hunt will go that extra mile to get the op done, but right. he's also sloppy enough to get caught. You, you've got the energy of Hunt and the, I guess, I don't want to call it skill, but deftness of, of Liddy. Yeah. It's, it's okay. too, it's a, it's too, too, it, it's a, too different. I don't know what I'm saying here, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, like I was saying at the top of the episode. I'm I'm waiting for these two musical instruments to start to sing together because uh, right. they are very tonally very different people. Right. So, all right, let's move on to the setup. After being fired and immediately, <laughs> immediately hired, they're part of the committee to reelect the president, Creep. Liddy immediately vouches for Hunt after being given a leadership position of the operation. John Dean offers him a blank check to run an underground counter campaign. Do you know that this was a real thing that they called this committee to reelect the president? Creep? Yeah, creep. Yep. It's if you are calling your organization creep, something has gone wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, there's no way that that organization was not going to become a criminal enterprise. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, but that, that's what we've got. And and they, what is, it, it was the hubris, the the belief in in what they were doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, of arrogance packed into this whole shenanigan. Right. You know, something that I'll mention is 
I, I listened, I re-listened to the podcast Slow Burn before this season one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the Watergate. Right. I'll, I'll say this: it's not. It's a little dated because it does a lot of parallels to what was happening in 2017 when it came out, mm-hmm. and uh, it just it doesn't age that well sometimes. But he, overall, I think it provides a really good overview of sort of the side stories of Watergate. Mm-hmm. And something that I remembered from this is they did actually have some success in throwing people off the scent of Nixon by getting these people off the White House payroll. It took them right. years to put together Watergate after interesting. It Okay. It took it yeah, it took it took a couple years for this really to get going. I mean, the people went to prison right away. That happened right away. Right. Uh the six of them, the Watergate six. But right. the the actual connection to the White House took a couple years to really put together, and that's because they did actually do a good job separating the uh the payroll, separating mm. the chain of command and things like that. So mm-hmm. while there was sloppiness, that sloppiness sort of had to create a trail of breadcrumbs to make that link over a couple years. Whereas mm. if they had been kept in SIU, I think that would have been a lot more, you know, cut and dry for Congress. Right, right. Yeah, it would have been easy to trace back. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, you know, st- straight out of uh, of being fired, they're hired. I, th- I thought that was just a really great moment. Caught yeah, me by surprise, yeah. caught them by surprise. Right. So I was I was very invested in into um, that scene. And uh, how it played out. So, yeah. All right, John, let's uh, get a little feedback here. Uh, again, you can send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website or jump onto our Discord server and into the White House Plumbers channel that we've got there. John, we've got um, an ace in our pocket here. One of our Patreon subscribers uh, is a presidential historical expert uh, and actually works on uh, presidential papers. It's uh, Brian8063 on the uh, Discord. And he excitedly let us know that, yes, he, in fact, is a professional in this field and was excited to share uh, his point of view on things. So we have a presidential historian uh, on (laughs) uh, as a special correspondent, I guess you could say, of our podcast. So looking forward to- Brian. Yeah, looking forward to more of his takes. And if people got questions and they want to uh, field them, then I'm sure Brian could you know, give us a, a point of view on that. Um, but his first email kicks off, says, hello, John and David. I'm a presidency expert and I work at uh, the center where I work. We have a sister project that deals with the White House tapes, including Richard Nixon. Our scholars transcribe and annotate the tapes, including the ones related to Watergate. On the Discord server, Dave and I were already chatting about the benefits of not having Nixon, Chuck Colson, John Ehrlichman, or H.R. Halderman in the show. This is confirmed in the show's podcast when the producer said that he thought that the Nixon angle Mm -hmm. was done before. So yeah, Yeah. so we're going to, it seems like we're just going to stay with Liddy and Hunt here, which I think is- We'll bring some tricky dick into the podcast. You know, I'll I'll keep- perusing the White House tapes, and we'll, Perfect. we'll see if we can get a few quotes in from, from old Tricky Dick. I, I love that you're so inspired. We have our new platform here, and you've got the soundboard. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I just got to remember to turn down my monitor volume. So oh, yeah. I'll, I'll make it quieter next time. The <laughs> the uh, the Third Reich stuff was really a little loud. It was a bit, well, for, for comic effect. Um, Brian continues, I think the show is going to give us the important White House and campaign culture. And culture usually starts at the top, so I think it's helpful to give a wider context of what's going on. Nixon had a paranoid and grievance-laden personality. He felt unaccepted by the political and intellectual elites all his life, 
and felt under siege, and he had to hit back. For most of his campaign life, Nixon played dirty tricks. Why was Nixon after Daniel Ellsberg, who leaked the Pentagon paper? There's some anti-Semitism here where he thought Ellsberg was Jewish and Jews are disloyal in his mind. There's the name comment, right, that we talked about? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Also, he worried about what other secrets the Pentagon Papers might contain that relate to him. I'm going to push back a little on the Jeb Magruder line that Nixon was a quote-unquote old lady and hated the bare-knuckle politics that we found in the show. Nixon always wanted people to see him as a great man and never wanted to get caught doing dirty tricks, but he endorsed them. Heck, he instructed his White House team to break into the Brookings Institution and blow the safe where he thought sensitive information was in file. So maybe he wouldn't be on the job itself, but Nixon would cheer them on. So he was not an old lady to me and thrived in bare-knuckle politics. So Hunt is a great snapshot of this kind of paranoid, hyper-patriotic, do-anything-you-need-to-do kind of culture that emanated from the White House. Felt is also a great uh, snapshot of the FBI at this point. By 1971, J. Edgar Hoover did not want the FBI doing black bag jobs anymore. Black ops, black bags. Um, The director was thinking about his legacy and reporters were digging around on the FBI surveillance of of college students and the left. Woody Harrelson and Justin Throw are very good. At first, Throw was playing Liddy as a quiet person around Hunt, and I was surprised. However, once he got to know him, Hunt, once he got to know Hunt, his oversized personality came out and it's great to see. Hope this was helpful, Brian. Right. All right, John, we got a lot to chew over there. What's yeah. your thoughts? Oh, I love this. This is this is some great stuff. You ever see the Checkers speech, David? Mm, I can't. No, I don't think so. This is Nixon's, uh, let's see, it's 1952 he made this mm-hmm. speech. I didn't was, realize you were so into this uh, this political history stuff. I, this is great. Oh, I love it. I love All it. Right. Uh he, he was uh, a senator at the time, right? And he his career was in jeopardy because he was accused of using campaign contributions for personal uh, personal expenses. And so he, what he did was he basically denied it without denying it. Mm-hmm. He he didn't explicitly deny it, but he said, "Oh, I want to admit I did take a, a personal gift uh, from a political donor. Somebody sent me a dog." His name's Checkers, and he's part of the family now, and I'm not giving Checkers back. And it's it's a whole thing. It's like one of the most it's, – it's still held up as one of the most brilliant political speeches of all time. Nice. Because this guy was so good at mm-hmm. turning a phrase, at painting something to be just, you know, something that happens normally. It's nothing criminal. It's nothing improper. It's just, you know, it's he's tricky dick, right? He knows how right. to get out of a scandal. right. And uh, yeah, so I love hearing this stuff. I love hearing these accounts. Please keep writing in, Brian, because this is great stuff. Yeah, I and I like this uh, insight into Nixon's personality, this um, paranoid and grievance-driven yeah. ego yeah. that was not afraid to use political power and to use the, the levers and, and the apparatus that he had control of to actually uh, swing hard uh, and swing a lot at his foes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, you know, sling some mud in a campaign. It's another thing to have actual agents, you know, or, or agencies yeah. come after you. Or to the order and, of the FBI to mm-hmm. do lie detector tests on everybody. And it's, Right. Yeah. 
Uh, I did. Wasn't uh, was there some malfeasance with the IRS during the Nixon administration? Too, I'm using not the sure. IRS? I'm not sure. Probably. Yeah. He he tended to uh, malfeasance. Quite <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. And again, everyone, uh, send in your feedback. And Brian, we are looking forward to more of your insights as we uh, cover the show. John, um, should we talk about our patrons really quick? Let's do it. Okay. So we have a patron, a Patreon, a Patreon subscriber base of uh, folks who like to support us. And we are ever grateful to every single one of them. And we're especially grateful to our lore masters, our highest tier, uh, who help us keep our operations moving forward. And we always like to give them a shout out at the end of the podcast. So, Samartian Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter OH, Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., and DJ Miwa. Thank you all so, so very much. Uh, to pick up from there, we are on a bit of a Patreon subscriber drive. We are coming up on our 111th birthday in July, on the 11th, in fact. And we are hoping to get 100 patrons subscribed by then because we're trying to up our production and do a few other things. And uh, to get us up to that next level of, of, uh, of income, that would be a big help. We've got a bunch of new benefits planned that we're going to announce as we get closer to our one-year anniversary. And everyone who's subscribed at the end of July is going to get a special thank you gift. I'm actually designing it as we speak, getting some quotes for production, and it's going to be something that we're actually going to send you in the mail. So everyone, and we've gotten a bunch of subscriptions recently. I think at the time of this recording, we're up to 77 patrons right 78. now. So. 78. 78. While we were recording. I love it when we get a subscriber while we're recording. <laughs> I always think that's the coolest thing. So we're getting close. And uh, I just want to thank you all so, so very much. Um, next up, another special announcement, our Star Wars Live Watch on May the 6th. Yeah, it's Saturday. May the 4th is Star Wars Day, but I think it's a whole month of Star Wars celebration. So like it is when you have your birthday in the middle of the week, we're going to be celebrating on the weekend. On our Discord, I did some testing, and we're going to have a, a test on Thursday night for just patrons. We're going to be watching a, a Conan movie, but for everyone, anybody who wants to drop in, we're going to be watching the original 1977 Star Wars film. We're going to watch the original cut where Han shot first. Um, John and I are probably talk a little bit before and after it. We'll be discussing our plans for our upcoming Star Wars Film Fest, where we're going to watch all nine movies. But if you want to see the original movie, and uh, we'll you know have the chat open, and if folks can you know talk and chit chat about the the show, uh, it'll be fun. It's going to be at eight o'clock Eastern time on our Discord server. Link in the show notes. Whew, that's a lot, John. We have even more programming notes for Matt. Yeah. Yeah, let's do a quick one because we've we've already talked everybody's ears off about exactly. Star Wars and all that jazz. But as you know, we're doing White House Plumbers. We're also doing two other short form shows weekly, Barry and Ted Lasso. Both are doing very well this season. We're really and enjoying both of those shows. The crazy thing is that all three of these shows all end in the same week. <laughs> yes. The end of May. Yes, so. cuz they all have different run times, but they just yeah. happen to line up the finales. Yeah. 
But yeah, both are, are very different shows. All three are very different shows, and all three are doing very well. So I hope you'll join us on those. Those will be quick listens as well. We also have an episode of MC Universe coming out next week covering Guardians of the Galaxy. If you missed our prep podcast for that, which I'm not on, so I don't know why I'm saying R, but if you missed the prep podcast on that last week, go check that out on our feed now. It was you, David. It was John. It was Alicia. And uh, that should be a lot of fun for people if you come back to hear the review that I'll be on of the movie. I'm yes. looking forward to seeing that one. Lorehounds Assemble. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Other than that, I think we've we've told them about enough things. We have so many things going yes. on right now, but we'll have to dole them out as we go. If you yeah, want our we've... full schedule, head to our Discord server and go to Community Updates, and you can see everything that we're doing this month. All right. Well, I think that's it for us on this podcast. We've got some Ted Lasso that we've got to talk about next. So um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next podcast. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>